Sondering's fam, it's your host, Ron Rapitalo on the mic, and got an episode with another Ron, Ron Summers, and really excited about his journey from web designer to CEO of a K-12 edtech nonprofit. We discuss a bunch of things on this episode, fam. The challenges and loneliness of leadership, the importance of having a support system, and also how Ron Summers promotes equitable access in computer science education and encourages folks to be authentic and true to themselves in their work. Come check out the episode. And this episode is sponsored, of course, by leveragepublishinggroup.com. Check us out because we ghostwrite, publish, and edit first-time authors. Peace. Rondering's universe. I got another Ron on the mic. I know, I know. Yes, yes, yes. I did have my homeboy from high school, Ron Williams, on a previous Rondering's podcast. I was like, when Rons go wild, I was like, I need to hit up another one of my Rons. We got the CEO of Code Nation, Ron Summers, on the mic. How you doing, Ron? I'm good. What's up, Ron? How are you? You know, after eating a lot of food recently, I, I'm recovering. People can take what that means because yes, I'm recording this and it's Thanksgiving. But nonetheless, went back to work out, feeling better. Got my bottle of water next to me, so starting to do a quasi detox. <laughs> that You're even better than my me. world. <laughs> You're way better than me, Ron, because there is no workout for me after Thanksgiving. It's just gonna sit here. Oh, <laughs> and, and we're gonna see, we'll see what happens. I need to get back in the gym. Oh, don't don't start growing feathers and get a little like top hat. You or something never like know. That. You never know. Two thousand twenty four is coming up. You oh no! Oh no! Well, Ron, I'm really excited to have you on here. I know, like a lot of the people event, we have a lot of common circles. I think yes, we started we hitting each other up on like LinkedIn, right? Through your work, the yeah. New York City Department of Ed, and there being a circle of Rons, they all kind of know each other, right? And so I'm just excited to get to chat with you here formally on the mic and have you share what is your story to start? You know, that's a really good question. The story, because, you know, you have to reflect and think about what your story looks like Mm -hmm. from the vantage point that you're sitting in now. And so I would start with, I'm a kid from Queens. Who grew up in Brooklyn, who grew up in Brooklyn. And so my parents, um, you know, loved them to death. Were both one, a New York City public school teacher Mm. and a New York City um, bus uh, dispatcher. Um, Both dedicated their lives to NYC. And so we moved from Brooklyn, um, specifically where Barclays is, right? We lived there way back in the day. And then they moved us to Queens for, you know, the better life. You go from Brooklyn to Queens, the classic. And Same so here. I grew up, yep. I grew up in this place called Laurelton, New York, where everyone looked like me, right? Like everyone was African-American or yep. Caribbean or Caribbean American. Mm-hmm. And so like, we just grew up like loving our skin and who we are. Yeah, and I man. went to all public schools, right? Mm-hmm. Shout out to PS 132. Okay. Shout out to IS59. That is. Shout, shout that out is. to August Martin High School. Okay. And so, so my experience is just like growing up black in Queens, being proud of who I am. And not necessarily understanding like how this world works and even the fact that we were like super segregated in this city. And what I thought I had was very different from what other folks had access to. And so, you know, grew up in this household where we're taught to be black and be proud, but also had this like love of technology. 
in school, but technology for us in my part of the woods was typing or Microsoft Word, and that was supposed to be advanced. And so, you know, we get to the days of America Online, just to date myself a little bit, and there's this thing called the World Wide Web. That's right, and you, you, you would put the disc in, and you yeah. would hope that you get through, right? Because remember, you didn't necessarily get through on the first try, That's or like right. your parents would pick up the phone and you scream downstairs, I'm going online, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. So all of that, And so I wanted to learn how to make websites because like my whole family are like have art in their blood. So Ron, I tell you this story about my pops. My pops used to be a designer. He drew for like Cool in the Game. He drew for Eddie Murphy as an illustrator. I had aunt who was Photoshop before Photoshop was invented. So Mm -hmm. art was always part of my blood. And so the World Wide Web at the time for me was just a big old canvas. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to design something to go on it. And so I taught myself how to code. But I did not know coding was lucrative, right? I did not know there was a whole field or career. It was just, I learned how to put some stuff together to make a thing appear on the screen. Mm -hmm. And I go to college, Ron, and there's this whole major called computer science, a major that has like no one who looks like me sitting in that that room, Mm. but it's exactly what I was doing. So there's like a couple of things that were like going through my head at that time. One is just, I'm angry, right? And I tell everyone this. I'm angry because I go to a school that I thought was great. I'm doing this thing, right, that no one has told me has value. And then I come into the space where folks have been doing it for years. There's immense value connected to it, but also whether they want to say it or not, they didn't want me there. So I choose the, I say yes to the major, but I know that folks who are in that space are actually saying no to me. And so, you know, I stay, I, I do this major for about a year, deal with any and everything. There is no equity efforts back in the, in the 90s, y'all. There is no talk about what a microaggression is. So I just got the straight talk, which are things like, you speak so well. Um, and wow, what school did you go to? And all of that crap. And I dropped the major of computer science. But oh, wow. Ron, let me tell you this. I was really good at computer science, although I never really did a formal major. And so Mm -hmm. I got a job at International Business Machines at the age of 19 years old. And I was sitting up in that place, sitting up in that place coding um, for their intranet, um, which is their internal network. And I was the webmaster to a degree. And I was doing that 19 years old. Stayed at IBM for two and a half years. How did you get this gig at IBM? I want to hear that, that story at 19. So again, I'm just a kid just designing stuff. So yeah. um, I, I'm a hustler, right? I'm from Queens. So, you know, whether it was <laughs> like- to 15, all the Queens know, hustlers, right? <laughs> yeah. Wh- wh- whether it was like, you know, way back in the day, trying to figure out a way to parlay, shoveling snow to like making mixtapes for peak kids. Because remember, we didn't have CD burners. We had old cassette tapes and you'd listen to the radio and then yeah. you'd wait for the perfect moment. And then you'd wait for that song to come on the whole day because you messed up the first time. So the hustler mentality was there for me around like web, the all these people wanted websites. So I was like, oh, I can make, I can actually make money off of this thing. And so some, one of the kids I knew, I shouldn't say kids, one of the adults I knew, young adults said to me, there's this internship at IBM, you should apply for it. And so I just applied for it, but I didn't know it was a full-time gig for a graduate level student to work at IBM as a web developer. But I got the call and they invited me in and when they saw me, first of all, my name is Ronald Summers, right? So let's just say they may not have known exactly who I was, 
This but, is where you and I live parallel lives. <laughs> How many Rodriguez go, oh, I expected an Asian guy or Filipino guy. I've been thought that an Italian or some ambiguous culture that does not exist. I'm a dude. Come on, come on, <laughs> I, right? So I, I feel it 100%. So they're like, when I walk in and they're like, oh, are you Ron? I say, yeah, I'm Ron. And then they say, well, do you want the job? And I was like, yes. And so 19-year-old kid gets a job at IBM because of the strength of his web, his like web portfolio, which again, wasn't a mm. thing. I didn't make a portfolio website. I wasn't doing this because I wanted to be a computer scientist or a web developer. It was just a love of art that's turned into this thing, but I spent a lot of time doing it and I was very good at it. Yeah. And I got this job at IBM and I was there okay. for almost three years, but I had my epiphany during this time, kind of going back to my story, which is right. people who, do, who look like me aren't sitting in the same space that I'm in. And there's three things that are specific to like why I'm angry. One is not getting access to this experience in high school, elementary school, right? When others did. Two, walking into a university space and having people more proud of the way I spoke because I I spoke English versus, you know, some type of slang nonsense that they saw on TV. And then the third is, being in this corporate environment and seeing this wealth and knowing that my community doesn't have access to it. And I made a decision that I was not going to do tech. I was going to be an educator. And that's like a whole 360, right? Like you're in a kind of like a pathway to tech. And then you're like, forget this nonsense because the world is real screwed up. And the real battle I need to fight goes back to my parents about being black and, and understanding the, 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 the revolution and everything else that I'm going to go out here and I'm going to teach my community, how to leverage these skills. And went mm. back, so I went to August, back to August Martin, my old high school, and I taught there for 10 years. And wow. I made the thing happen. And we were doing, we were doing a lot of amazing things. We were doing, we were better in some ways than Stuyvesant. I'm going to say Brooklyn Tech, but hopefully no one's getting mad at me um, <laughs> on this call. Um, but when it came to web development, we were doing yeah. some things. And then it was time to have bigger impact. And then I made some moves, developed some really cool programs at NYC, but eventually, just, um, you know, did what I had to do as executive director of CS Education uh, and, you know, tried to make sure one million students had access to computer science. You know, we did a good job of it, but the work's not done. And yeah. now I sit at Code Nation trying to fill another gap, which is students do not have access to the advanced skills that I just talked about yes. that other kids have in high school. They only have access to certain things in high school. I want to make sure they get everything that happens outside of the classroom walls that I think are even more important because we do get into tech, but we don't stay. Because there's a reason, because we're not welcome. So how do we yeah. fix some of the other pieces there? Yeah. I want to go back to what you had told me when we were hanging out at the cafe in Jersey City. You just refreshed my memory on the creative spirit in your family, particularly your parents. And one of the things I often see people stereotype folks who get to tech is that they're very robotic, quote unquote. At least that's like my at far, you know, um, perception, right? And yet Obviously, you think of the world of like tech and the creativity you need to even do what you did at 19, right? And younger, I mean, able to design, there's an incredible creative aspect of that. So talk to me a little bit about like that creative spirit in your family and how like getting its web design and what you got out of it creatively. You know what? I won't even take credit for all, all this. Like my family, I think there's like a whole group of creative people who mm. have gravitated towards tech because yeah. 
tech in some ways is limitless and right and what you can yeah. achieve what you can create or the problems that you solve and so creative folks whether you do you like to do broadway plays whether you are a musician tech is just this amazing way for you to capture the essence of your creativity and hopefully share it with the world and so web development for me was just a way to express myself yeah, um, and I, I think throughout my career i mean and honestly i'm a graphic designer just who happens to be a ceo right i'm a graphic designer who happens to be an executive director in nyc public schools right in my essence i am just a designer and what i do is yeah. i just see the beauty in things and even the not so beautiful and i'm able to try something and that canvas may not look perfect but i'm not going to say yep that's our one try that's over i'm going to say you know what give me another piece of canvas let's try this other way maybe i need to add a little bit more red here a little bit more blue and i think that creative mindset which i like to capture when i talk about things like engineering design and entrepreneurial yeah. thinking and all of that i think that's part of like what my family provided because mm-hmm. in reality artists are engineers right we don't we don't necessarily get yeah, that, the credit yes. that way yeah. right but artists are engineers so my family they're really mm-hmm. just engineers who leverage things like oil paint right and pencils I and everything that. else yep. to provide services/supports to the world right so they can solve something for like my father it was his love of music and his love of art coming together in the perfect way for my aunt mm. it was her love of just making people feel proud of the way they looked and that's yeah. why she was a airbrusher way back in the day wow um, you know man. old folks y'all remember that when you get your your high school portraits <laughs> and they had to actually go to someone and someone physically sat there with ink like actually a paint or an airbrush and would actually fix the blemishes like i mean it's just that love and creativity that's there there was not an app for that back then someone literally had to no like app. get the marker or the paint or whatever to do that that's and that is bananas. You know, I'm thinking of two things. One, I went with my daughters to Liberty Science Center recently, and I saw the Pixar exhibit. And when you cool. go to the Pixar exhibit, it's obviously so steeped in science. And you would argue that in terms of like animation today, my God, like Pixar is like top, top end, top end. And you see all of the science and math that's involved. It started reminding me of when I took Calc. And- <laughs> if I give the example of like, oh, this is how they're like basically able to like create these, you know, animated figures is through just an understanding of of math, but also some level of volume and like being able to approximate, you know, if you do volume and calculus, right? With, 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 <laughs> inter- with, uh, with integrals, right? It's basically all the triangles that you can approximate what's inside of like that shape. And so yes. when I saw some of what they were doing to approximate these shapes and like creating mathematical formula, I was like, oh my God, like, boy, if you don't know your calc and the stuff like that, you will have a really hard time using that creative spirit to not only draw, but have these figures move in a way because it's also figuring out what formulas you need to approximate the movement of these yes. figures. Even that in of itself is fat. It's almost like, I'm oversimplifying, like, playing with a marionette in terms of how they move eyebrows and eyes and they're all kind of connected, but they're all connected yes. mathematically. You know, connected mathematically when you're in that world. And I think that's where this world of like animation and, and tech and creativity is just, so. Do so you know what's funny? And not even funny, it's like, I think you just gave credit to artists and, as being brilliant because like 
think about animation the way you just described it, the physics that are involved, right? Like, and, and, and artists in many ways yeah. are doing calculations like a supercomputer in real time that maybe they're not writing the formula down per se, but they're yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. everything from volume and mass to the, the wind speed in this, you know, fictional scenario, right? And the fact that Man. I want this piece of fabric to blow in the wind. And so, yeah, there's a huge piece of engineering that's part of that art world that, I mean, they should just get more credit for, uh, period. And I'm, I mean, we're not going to talk about AI right now, so I'm going to stop. Yeah, I mean, we, we can we can dovetail <laughs> that into the conversation at some point. But it was interesting. Last thing on this Pixar exhibit is that they realized there were so many scenes where they had to get grass and trees that they figured out the right mathematical formula to basically yeah. cascade how much grass you wanted, whether it was different shapes, sizes, blends, whatever. And it was cool, like this exhibit, you could play with it and just like move the the, the button back and forth and like it would just create the grass you wanted based on visually what you were looking for. It's just- Yeah, it's the algorithm right there. Yep. Yep, that's it. That's well, I wanna, when I dive into with you, Ron, you mentioned this transition from, and it looks like you've melded those worlds, which we'll get to in a second, of so creative tech educator, but I want to focus on the educator part for a second. Talk to our audience about that pathway to what you did once you started learning to teach and then those 10 years of August Martin. What was that like for you? Wow. Um, So I cut my teeth in New York City Public Schools as a substitute teacher. Oh, you came as a sub. Wow, man. Yeah, so being a sub in NYC is like just walking over hot stones with flames and lava all around We you. were students. And How so, did we treat subs back in the day, Ron? Come on, let's be Not real. with the most respect. <laughs> but let me tell you something. Yeah. Once you live that life, you have respect for any and everyone who, who's coming in and doing it, mm. right? Especially like our ex-educators, um, our former educators who come back, right? And they're trying to help their school community as subs. Like, that's a hard job. And so yes. cut my teeth there, just wow. kind of understanding like, what does it mean to... I wouldn't even say lead a classroom. I think you're an orchestrator and you're figuring out the right frequency and or like rhythm for a classroom based Mm -hmm. on a set of students that are there. And so substituting is really important because you're going from like almost like symphony to symphony. You don't know the players, but you've got to figure out really quickly how to get the clarinet, the saxophone, the percussion sections that kind of be in a rhythm in some ways for you to survive for that period is just substitute, but right. also so like, like there's a decent environment. And so started with that. And that was my foray to say, could I do this? And I was like, you know what? I could do this because at the end of the day, I don't take myself serious, right? Like I'm a kid from this school who just happens to be teaching. And so I got a lucky break and became yeah. a full-time teacher the year after that. And so it was just about like learning how to teach from elders who had been doing this for a really, really long time. Yeah. And it was all about being human, right? It wasn't about the content. It wasn't about what you were teaching. It was just like, kids know if you're genuine. Kids know if you care. And if you can keep those two balanced, right? right? Every single day in your classroom, you will always win the day. And then you can figure out how to teach, right? Because there's, like there's yeah. a step before teaching that was really important and critical. Yeah. Well, I'd be remiss not to ask you who in your teaching career was on in your circle of champions to quote my book? Who wow. are the 
teacher or two or instructional leader or two that really had tremendous impact on your teaching journey Mm -hmm. and just building expertise? So number one, because I'm lucky I come from a family of educators, I'm going to shout out my mom. Mom was a special education teacher um, Mm -hmm. who taught me that every human requires accommodations, right? And the moment Uh, that we stop labeling them, we'll do better. And so I approached my classroom with every, every kid at individual needs, right? Which I don't think are like, these are concepts that are just part of teaching. But like when right. you really are practicing that, it takes your, your instruction to another level. And so shout out to mom for teaching me that everyone uh, deserves to to the care they need. Shout out to mom. I'll shout out uh, an assistant principal um, from way back in the day, her name, Janice Henry, who actually was my first AP, who really taught me what it meant to hone my craft, right? And mm. the preparation that's required before the performance. Because teaching to me is 90% prep and 10% of it is the performance, which is the actual instruction. And then there's like another portion that happens after that, which is what went what, what, well, what didn't go well, what am I going to do? Because Johnny, that didn't work for Johnny, but it worked for Liz, right? And so mm. she taught me how to be a pro. I would say to be a professional educator, right? Because it's more than just teaching and having the spotlight on you. And then I would yeah. say after that, I would probably give a shout out to... I just think it's all the champions in my life who source something that I didn't see in myself. Yeah. So I can go down long lists. Um, the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, specifically Terry uh, Bowman. Nifty. Yeah. yeah, Nifty. I can talk about Nifty. Um, mm-hmm. I can talk about folks in the ecosystem who cared so much about me, whether I'm talking about like a Jay Cho up in NYC public schools. I mean, people just saw something in me that I didn't see in myself yet. And just were there to provide the guidance and also the tough love and just telling me like, Ron, you're bugging out. Like, this is not, this is not working. What are you going to do to improve? They helped me a lot. And I would say most recently, people have helped me out a whole lot that I'm going to shout out. I'm going to shout out. In this case is I'm like someone like a a Debbie Marcus, who was the former executive director of CS Education, Mm. who taught me how this game is played. I'm at a really, really high level. Um, especially for city hall politics um, and everything else that we have to deal with to just make sure kids get a good education. So, you know, she taught me some good lessons about how to win the battle Mm. by losing today so you can win tomorrow. Is there an example you are able to share? Because that sounds really juicy, right? And it's not something that I think often comes intuitively to folks that when you're working in bureaucratic settings, right, sometimes you have to build towards what you really want to win. And if you get the short-term win, you'll never get what you really want, right? Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's, I think um, we could go to COVID. Like, COVID's a good example. So, yeah. I mean, CS for All's goal is to make sure all kids um, had access to equitable CS education. And so, you know, COVID, I think, gave everyone, ran everyone for a loop, right? Because yeah. at least in education, some disparities that always existed were now, like, front and center, and so when you think about like the basic needs of a child, a school community, CS education doesn't like top the list, right? There are a bunch of other things that come before that. And so if our goal is to make sure every single student has CS by training, you know, 5,000 teachers, something like COVID specifically could be seen as a hindrance, right? An mm. obstacle. Right. But you have to think about the long game. The long game isn't really to just provide general instruction to students or provide general training to teachers. It was to set up something that was lasting so that no student ever 
has to go through what I went through or, or what folks who look like me went through by not having access to CS. So you have to decide what battles you want to lose. And sometimes that means you let your numbers go a little bit, right? So we had super high numbers when it came to number of students being engaged through CS, but we had to accept, right, in a very strategic way that this is not the best way to support schools in the moment by forcing them to do something that has nothing to do with the current challenges of navigating a school building in the conditions of COVID-19. So we took a loss. And as a leader, the loss still is going to come with scrutiny and you're going to get feedback from others. Like, why aren't you hitting this number and that number? But you will have to be willing to take that loss because you're setting up something which is greater, which for us was better integration into schools, understanding what our schools need, and then being able to, when we're all coming out of this pandemic, being able to say, this school has these seven challenges, and this is how CS Education can support them in not only tackling those challenges or even others, but also creating something that's sustainable. So I've lost many times. I do it to this day. I will lose to win later because students are at the end of this. And I just want them to, the legacy I think for all of us, Ron, in this work is leave the world in a better shape than when you came into it. And that's what has. I have to lose five times for the world to win once. That's good enough. Yeah. It sounds like the advice that you got was to take this systemic, sustainable view to get the win, right? Because a win that doesn't outlast you is not ultimately a win. I think you said it really, if I'm paraphrasing here, right, is you could have gotten the short-term win in terms of using the bureaucratic hammer of saying, must do this, get numbers up, must do this, but will it stay beyond you, right? Because if that's not a structure and a system of collaboration, people really wanting it, as we know in the cycle of schools anywhere in the country, right? And I heard this all the time in places I work, like, is we will outlast you. You don't ever want that to be the sentiment. We will outlast, right? And it's, it's such a common thing in bureaucracy writ large is that we inside of the system, oh, I appreciate, Ron, what you're trying to do, but that don't meet our needs. And like, you could force us to do it, but like, I just know you're not going to be here that much longer. We're going to go back to what we're doing anyway. So we will do what you ask us to do, quote unquote, where there's going to be so like bare minimum. What I mean, this happens so much within what I watch in K-12 and unfortunately, right? Because when you prescribe the mandatory things, it often then becomes this horrible game of like, oh, let's checklist all the things we're saying that we're doing, but the impact that it has truly on students and opportunity. Like that's in there's so many examples of that. It makes my head spin. I I I think you're right. Right. I think there's the, the legacy of what you leave behind. I think there's the, can you build something that's strong enough that whatever good it's supposed to be doing cannot be dismantled right in one day, two days, three weeks, right? You want something that lasts. And then I think there's even another part that you just that you were talking about, Ron, which I don't think just applies to K twelve education, but I think it applies to everyone just around like, are you truly serving us, right? Or building for us? Or are you building for yourself or some yeah. set of outcomes and some set of goals that have nothing to do with the true struggle that we're dealing with? And I think like in that type of a system for the CS education team to be able to say, we got your back in these other ways. And we still have this goal to get your students here and to set up system-wide change. 
but there's a different route to getting there, I just think is an important lesson, no matter where you are, right? Even here um, in my current job, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's goes back to the first lesson I learned from my elders in teaching, which is people see you right away. They can see through the bullshit. And mm-hmm. if you're not caring, if you're not actually listening, right? And you don't really hear them and you're not in tune with that, the rest of it's not because you said it. I will outlast you anyway, right? You're just another, you know, executive coming in that'll fly by at night, but I'll still be here doing the work because you never were in tuned anyway. Mm. Well, let's fast forward us into today, Ron. As you know, right, there's not a lot of folks who look like you who are CEOs of nonprofits, right? The numbers are staggeringly low when you think about black and brown folks, Asian American folks, native folks that are running nonprofits. So I feel privileged to be talking to, unfortunately, in our current society, one of the few. So stepping into this role, like talk to us about what that's been for you in terms of like your your leadership journey, what your what legacy you're trying to build at Code Nation, anything else you want to talk about now that you're in this seat that so few of us have had the opportunity to have and yet have been ready for some time. I mean, this is, this is layered. Um, <laughs> this is, I mean, this is very layered. I mean, yep, I think yep. I'd start with imposter and being an imposter, like it all the imposter syndrome first. Right. I think mm. I still sit wrong sometimes and, and question like, do I deserve to be in these seats? And then I snap out of it and say, hell yeah, because I earned this, this, this thing. Right. Sure and I work really, really hard. Yep. But being a leader of color in general is tough. It is hard. Being in the C-suite, right, which I think has to be called out, like anyone that has the C-level role in an organization who is a person of color or a woman or identifies as a woman, I think it's 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 tough, period, because the environment wasn't necessarily designed for us to thrive. Yeah, I think the environment has become much more aware around what does it mean to have a diverse set of leaders at the table yes. and how important it is to have different perspectives. But, you know, your mission statement around like DEI and equity is not always your practice. And so one of my learnings, you know, being an executive in this space is, and this may sound tough, it's like one, I expect to be one of the few and I have to balance what does it mean for some folks to be the representative of all um, and also doing what's specifically right in my viewpoint for the work. And throughout my leadership roles, I think what has helped me be able to thrive yeah. is, is never losing sight of what I can actually deliver on versus what someone else's version of what Ron is supposed to be is. And that's a struggle, right? I struggle on it in the realest way yeah. in, my, in my current role, right? Because what's, which CEO am I? Am I the CEO? And I think the better question is, what CEO does Codenation need me to be, right? And then also, mm-hmm. am I willing to adapt based on what it needs me to be at different time periods, right? So what it needed me needed for me six months ago may not be the same thing it needs for me three years from now. And so what does that mean for me as a leader to be truly adaptive, to not walk around trying to provide technical fixes to everything, staying in tune, mm-hmm. right, with the people who do this work? which are the amazing um, folks in Chicago, the amazing folks in New York City who are inside schools every day trying to make sure kids have access. Once I lose sight of that, like none of this matters. And I'm just a leader um, as a figure, as a title, 
And so I never take this thing for granted. I probably won't be able to do this forever anyway, because yeah. there's plenty of folks who should take this baton who need their shot. Cause I'm getting up there, right? Like maybe not in the sense of I'm 90, but I'm up there that I've been here for, you know, four decades plus that many time. <laughs> Shout out to you the know, four decades point, plus people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Shout so to like out. give this to someone, you know, and I've had yeah. a nice career. Um, so I think what I would go back to the question and I probably got distracted a little bit, Ron, is I think my leadership journey specifically has been nonlinear. Again, I'm a graphic designer who just happens to be a CEO, but I think it's been 100% like authentic and truthful. And I've given every, every role I've had, everything I have, and I've never faltered on my values and why I do this work, which is, and I'll say it again, no kid should not, should not have access, right, to tech. No kid should, should not have access to like a pathway of experiences that allow them to say, this is the thing, I think I like it, or even I don't like it, right? right? It should not be a, a linear pathway. So I'll lead until I can't lead anymore or until folks say it's time for you to not lead. But no matter what, even if I'm retired, I'll still do what I can for my community and try to lead in some way. Just may yeah. mean I have a different title. Maybe I'm the yeah. annoying guy at the community center who keeps coming every afternoon yeah. to help kids. Maybe that's my title. Yeah. So Ron, one of the things I've experienced in talking to folks who look like us in these positions is how lonely it can feel, mm-hmm. right? Especially when you're in the seat. So in my experience, I was at the table, but I was not at the seat. When you're in the seat, the temperature is different and it feels like it's going up and down. You can't control the roller coaster, even if you are technically driving it, right? And so I wonder who are the people you lean on? And it might be some of the same people you mentioned when I asked you about your circle of champions and your teaching journey, but who do you lean on now as a black male CEO of a K-12 ed tech nonprofit? Uh, I should, I think I will start off with number one, my wife. Ah, yes. So, Mm. so one, and I'll go back to like what it's like sitting in that chair is she has to deal with all of, all of it. Right. Like, and this kind of goes to the CEO role. CEO role at the end of the day is to guarantee the success of the company, right? If it's a for-profit company, it's connected to profits and shares and dividends. If it's a, a nonprofit, it's connected to social good outcomes. Yes. And so you are asked every single day to treat your company the same way you would a family member and give it any and everything you have to guarantee the success. And most of the time you're like trying to set conditions and bring people together, but that takes a toll. And so there's a version of you that comes home at the end of the day, because you've given so much to the day work that is not always the same. And so my wife, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, mean, I love you so much. Has to deal with Mm -hmm. the remnants of, you know, her Ron, right? Coming home after giving himself Right. And then same thing for her. I'm her champion too. When she does her thing in her professional life and comes right. home and she's put it all on the table. Right. And so I think that support system of just like having my partner is number one, period. Right. Mm. Two. That's beautiful. I would say it's, it's other folks who look like us, who I've been meeting, who have been sitting in these chairs. So some folks I've known, but I get to meet so many other like wonderful CEOs of color. I'm part of this great network called the Black CS Network, 
which is in its yeah. inaugural phase. Um, and Yamale was on your your um, podcast. Yes, I was about recently. to shout her out. Yes, yes, yes. She, she's part of that cohort, and we are a bunch of Black executives in the C-suite of nonprofits who are trying to lead social good change work, but recognizing what what you said, Ron, which is it's so lonely. And even if like we throw out stats, we know that less than five percent of the capital in the nonprofit world Ooh. goes to CEOs of color, boy, oh boy. right? Mm-hmm. And so like. We're supporting each other and navigating like one, we, we were good. We we're good at this too, right? Like we can lead our yes. companies yes. to having a perception person, like uh, it's a terrible perception for folks of color that they can't lead and, or they can't handle this type of money and then not having access to the funds to do the work based on the live experience we've also had. Right. Yes. And so being a CEO of color is lonely, but there is support out there um, when you find your people. And of course, having a coach is amazing. Something that I, I definitely need at this point. But you know, you you do your best, hopefully to find like, like, like-minded people who not only they can support you, but you can support them because yeah. it's a two-way street, right? Like it's almost like an organism. It's a community. Mm-hmm. Um, the stronger they get, the stronger I get, and the stronger we get for kids. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter who wins. It's just that we win. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. That's it. Is there a leadership lesson that you learned coming into the CEO role that you wish he would have been told or had been taught to about before you became a CEO? Because I think one of the things I often find when you're in the seat is that oftentimes there are things you learn on the job, but there's sometimes a, boy, I wish I would have known that because my God, that's like so integral to me being a CEO in this particular context and environment. Oh my gosh. I have a, so, a long list of things all connected <laughs> to failures. I, I think I'll start with nothing matters before this moment. And what I mean by that is you could have all of the stats you want around mm-hmm. like, I did this, I did that, but none of it matters, right? Especially when you go into like a new organization, because the only stat that matters is like kind of like the now. And so I think lesson number one for me is just like, it's like you're starting over as a leader. Yeah. And are you able to be adaptive enough to say, like, I have a foundation of experiences, um, you know, positive and challenging, but what am I going to do with this current moment um, in a way while respecting your values, rewrite what is needed to serve this organization versus what you did in the past? Number one. Mm. Two, as a leader, I think something that I took for granted is just like taking care of yourself, right? Um, I'm a workaholic. Yeah. Yeah. At points, and it's because I care about the ultimate outcome. So I'll do whatever is necessary. But like this thing called self care is so real. And I think CEOs, all of us, we could do a better job of caring for our company, but also caring for ourselves. Because the whole point of us to be there is to support the company. And if we are dead or in a hospital bed, we are going to be little help. Um, to making sure like whatever that outcome that we were trying to reach is reached. Mm, Um, And then third, I mean, if I'm going to keep on going, third, I think would be just the the hard lesson of, and I don't think fail fast works here. Like it does in um, like tech companies, like fail fast, break things. Yeah. Here it's, I think it's like be super duper thoughtful, right? And, and understand your impact, right? For people more than the impact um, for the so-called numbers. Um, that you need to hit, right? To take care of reporting or whatever else. 
It's just like never lose sight of that. Be as thoughtful as possible. Be willing to say, my bad, sorry, that wasn't the best decision because that matters. Having humility, showing up Mm. 100% authentic and being vulnerable to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to tie your the two lessons on the self-care and the the focus on people, the vulnerability and accountability, because in my experience, having done way too many executive searches and knowing lots of leaders coming through searches, but also building relationships with leaders like you, is if you don't have good self-care, it just makes being vulnerable and accountable that much harder. Because here's the analogy I would use, right? Yeah. If you're in survival mode, and you're in the Titanic, and you are trying to save the ship and save yourself and save your family, something gives. If if I like literally put someone like, all right, I'm gonna put you in soon to be freezing cold water, you have a raft, and you're the captain of the ship, and you're responsible to, to save people, and you're also like looking at your family and yourself and saying, wait a second, in that moment, do I go down with the ship and save people? Or do I save my, like, it Ooh. just, it's such a, and I, Ooh. and I use that as a, like, analogy to understand what it means when, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not putting yourself in the best conditions and mindset to be able to be thoughtful of others. So in some ways, wow. self-care is not in any way selfish, but I would say in a very powerful way for folks like you and I is the very way that we're going to be able to sustainably lead. I think without that, like, frankly, yeah. like, and I'm, you know, this is not the Ron Drinks podcast interviewing Ron Rapitalis. So I'm not going to share, like, all the intricacies of my story, but I will tell you, in this current time, it's something that I just care so deeply about that, yeah, I think I tend to go in another direction where, like, I want to take care of myself because if I start to feel that I'm off, I start to resent a lot of things in people very fast. So yeah. I like I I can be self-sacrificing Powerful, to some degree, but I think some of it's being youngest seven, the way I've been acculturated, and just like mm-hmm. I have a mindset like so I give a very tangible thing. I don't miss workouts disproportionately. No, no. I get really upset when I have to miss a workout that's not planned for. Like really ups like like irrationally upset. It's not a good look at all. <laughs> I was like, are you okay? <laughs> like I'm a donut. I'm like, I get really Really, that's important to you, though, and that's why it shows up like that. That's right. But I just I I tie together that energy, Mm -hmm. that mindset, Mm -hmm. to be able to lead humbly and accountably, because you're not going to be someone. And we look, Ron. I'm sure in your networks of leaders of color, you meet a lot of in the pendulum of leadership. People tired. Very tired. When you're not tired, you don't not your best self. If you don't then sustain and reply, like it just, it's like, and I just know way too many leadership examples from interviewing people and knowing stories or things I get told. I'm just like, I don't believe that leaders come out of the get saying, I want to cause harm and trauma to people, to be clear. I do think yeah. what tends to happen is that folks, you spiral. It's just like when you start to build really bad habits and you're not then aware of like the impact, or you may be aware, but you rationalize everything. It's very easy to build a level of cognition and a circle of like rationale to say, this is why I do things. And like, well, this person had to go or like, this is why we're doing certain things, which all then gets wrapped up into how much are you looking in the mirror and taking care of yourself 
to be able to then have the empathy to understand what others are feeling and what they need. I, I don't think those things can exist well. Like, yeah, you can get some folks who like leave for a little bit, right. like able to play that game. But if you don't take care of yourself, ultimately, ooh, it, I, I, I do right. not believe like it. And yet we are taught otherwise. That's the crazy part. And and I was gonna say that too. Like we're 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 taught totally different, right? Like yeah. I mean, I think we come from a generation that's like I we're like the I, a friend. I was talking to a friend actually two nights ago. Yeah, um, we were talking about our sons, um, and we were talking about just like what it means to be um, black fathers. Mm. And we were talking about a little bit like we're part of the generation that's the walk off era, right? Which is like you know. You've got tears in your eyes. You got blood coming off your arms, and it's just like, like, walk that thing off, right? Like, you're gonna be okay. You got to go do what needs to be done. Yeah. And so, I think it relates to what you're saying about the self care, because in the end, I'm, I'm programmed like many other folks, which is, who cares? Like, you don't need to sleep, right? It's kind of like the, the the romance of the grind and hustle culture, right? It's like if you if you're not up all night long yeah. working on this thing because this thing needs to get done and sacrificing yourself, then you're not working hard enough, which which is the opposite of what you're saying, which is I can do even better if I made sure there was some care happening. I got some sleep. I was less stressed out. I'm working out. Like all of those things brings a better run to the table, which provides hopefully everyone that we're serving, right? With the support they need to even do better work. But if we show up crappy, you know, unhealthy, not mentally focused, Maybe bad decisions are made. So I think you're yeah. right. And I'm, I'm listening to you saying, damn, I need to get this together. But, and, but we know. So I'm going to shout out another Ron in popular media. LeBron James, right, is someone that, like, I watch 39, still dropping stats the way that he is, still being a top 10 player the NBA 20 years in. Yeah. People, He's a senior citizen in the NBA now. Right. When folks look at the amount of money he spends on his self-care, quote unquote, I mean, granted, the money he has is that's different money. Let's be clear. Yeah. Like LeBron, he's but living. His temple, though. He's, that's right. But without that, I think he's understood as an athlete, just like Kobe then, may Kobe rest in peace, that it is basketball that allows me to have all these other films, all the school, all that stuff. Yeah, if if right. I'm if I don't treat what's happening on the court right, all that other stuff may get jeopardized, right? But I have to ultimately take care of myself. And I think for me, like this taking care of self, I try to model myself as an aspiring elite athlete in terms of how I think about my world. There's a really cool quote before I get to back to you. James Clear wrote Atomic Habits, had this meme that I reshared. It was something about, you know, three things he aspires to have. It was a entrepreneur's mindset, athlete's body, and an artist's soul. Mm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's a wonderful three. I don't have the athlete's body. Yeah, when I hear artist's soul, I'm just like, <laughs> damn, that like, hit, but that hits in like, like I think with our conversation, you know, for you being a, this creative designer, the CEO is just like, you've found a way to keep this creative spirit in a way that doesn't necessarily for some people mean how they think of a creative like you're creative that happens to be in the ceo seat not a ceo who happens to be creative right you get my drift i think yeah it's the opposite yeah. it definitely yeah. i think you're actually right yeah i mean it's it, the creativity is everything um but i like what you said about what is it the artist's soul right an athlete's body which i don't have right and the and entrepreneur's then, mindset 
and the entrepreneur's mindset. I would say yeah. I probably have the two out of the three. I don't think number two is ever going to happen for a long time, <laughs> but at least the entrepreneurial part, I, I don't believe that something can't be solved, right? Like I do believe you can solve it. Yeah. And then I mm-hmm. believe on the other side from an artist's mindset, right? Like all we got to do is find the right brush, right? Or all we got to do is just try it again. And so yeah. there's a beauty, there's a beauty there. So there's peace there. Um, but I, I think right. like there's something to call out here that maybe our generations don't haven't nailed yet that I think Gen Z does a really good job of. I think they have a really good sense of what that balance means so that they yes. can show up fully as themselves That's right. in this world. And I think there's there's tension of sorts with like, you know, mm-hmm. our generation or beyond saying like Gen Z this, Gen Z that. But like this is an amazing thing that we should be learning from them, which is it's not necessarily and maybe this is conforming. We need to get our crap together and stop acting and conform to our old ways, which some are bad, right? But embracing that's the way we embra- that's the way we conform to baby mover culture. Like when it's you true. and I we gave them genetics, it's like, it was the it's, same thing. Yeah, and they're the first ones that actually say to you, "No way," right? Like they're like they're like, <laughs> yeah. "No way, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous." Like I need yeah. to have my mental health and my physical health in addition to working in this profession or at that job, yeah. which I think is amazing if you just step back, reflect on it, and just kind of say, yeah, that's what we all deserve. Yeah. So Ron, we're ending towards our time together. So what is your rondering? What's the lesson of value you'd like to share with the rondering's audience? I think I would ref- reflect on what we just talked about today, which is yeah. truly listen to your to your body, listen to your mind, listen, listen to your soul, right? And mm. everything else kind of falls the way it needs to fall within the way this like world and this ecosystem is made. Where if right. you're doing things true to yourself, true to what matters to you, and then with the self-care. I think you can navigate anything um, in this world. And I would say specifically to my younger folks who are of color and want to go into tech is make sure you never lose sight of that because you don't have to go work for someone. You can go build your own thing, right? But even if you work for someone, understand that you can be the change that that place needed if you stay true to yourself. Amen to that, Ron. I love that advice to the younger generation to keep that legacy going so that my my hope is for my daughters, like I've done enough to be able to transform the landscape so that as they come in, when I think about my parents and like, I think the legacy I've built, simply put at age 48, I don't have to work as hard as they do or as yeah. they did. That doesn't mean that I don't work hard. No, that I work as hard as my parents had to. I can say that I haven't had to. Mm-hmm. I, clear stop. And once again, not to, you know, riff on their story, but like they lived the immigrant Philippine hustle story of working crazy hours for, for decades, mm-hmm. right? And those things pay a price. Let's be clear. They just they, they do, do like, we don't price. like to talk about those things, right? And we're getting to that age, like both of my parents have passed, but I have friends within our age group, let's say, you know, early 40s to like mid 50s, taking care of our parents, like the like it's a real thing that like a lot of like, and we have really sucky systems to do that in our country. People That's literally right. figuring out like tape and like, you know, not good tape, not duct tape even, right? Like the cheap tape <laughs> in the 99 cent store. And I, I know that tape like, that sticks for five, <laughs> five seconds and comes right back off. Exactly. I know that tape. I'm going to use it for the holidays right. for some of, some of my presents over here. Yep. I know that tape. Oh my gosh. But it's, it's real though, Ron. I mean, like you just, when yeah. you just talked about like 
your parents mm-hmm. and you talked about like sacrifice right and i yeah. think this is kind of like part of this this conversation we had it's we do we work really hard and we do this work for others but also like you said if you're half your cup is half full how do you actually make sure that you're taking care of those others in real time but then but then also like just the i got to do this for them so they can do better than i'm doing now so i think like there's a part of me which is willing to yeah put as much of it on the line as possible because then they can hopefully tell the story one day which is they're on whatever the virtual or artificial intelligent podcast is at that point but they're like yeah. i didn't have to work as hard as you dad um with respect because you set me up um yeah. in a way where my story is like the third level of your story right yeah, yeah. so yeah i mean cool stuff so that's my that's where i'm rondering all of that Appreciate you, Ron. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, look, if we all come to a conscious understanding, just like I think the sense we get, not all Gen Z, but certain pretty sizable portion of Gen Z of conscious understanding of what they need and advocating for it, that's like everyone's going to have different types of energy and how they want to show up in the world or what they want to do. I have lots of workaholic friends. I do. I, I'm, I'm in the arena. Am I that kind of work? I'm not, but I hang out with them a lot because I'm driven by results, but I also understand like the driven by results, it, it, everyone has to come at it from a different angle, right? And, and this thing we called life to understand what our energy and temperament is to get what we want. I think I've just learned I'm willing to play the long game and build something sustainably. Like when I met up with you, that's how I treat my powerlifting. Like, could I lift heavier if I went harder? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I want to? And do I think the trade-off is right considering why I do it? I don't do it for the numbers. But the numbers are interesting, but they're not they're not a they're not the end all. They're not yeah. the end all be all. It's just about being able to be healthy to do things like picking up both of my daughters with one arm if I wanted to. Like that's a cool bat trick. Like, oh, here it goes. Treat like a cow. That's a nice like, step. You know? <laughs> it's the, but like, you're in it's, tune. Yeah. You're in tune with your frequency though. I gotta say, Ron. You are. Yeah, I um it's a blessing. Uh, if you would have met Ron 15 years ago, ooh, but we all go through our stages, right? I love that Ron for 15 years ago. I love that Ron in college. I love 10-year-old Ron. You got to love all of those Rons. That's right. Right, Because it got us to where we are today, and we're going to continue building on that. So, yeah. Ron, before I let you go, brother, what would you like to promote? What do you want to shout out to our audience? So I want to shout out just making sure that we're thinking about equitable access in all the things we do. Not specifically CS education, right? I'm just talking about like actually taking a step back and just thinking about what the playing field is, what the condition of that playing field is, and how are we making sure that if we're talking about it, we're actually implementing it. And Mm. I'm saying specifically, making sure more folks have a seat at that table or we're preparing folks to be at that table, right? Like you've got to take the time to really think about that and think about how your practices, how you show up every day is supporting that. Because at the end of the day, if you're not helping, um, you actually are stopping mm. other folks from yeah. um, getting their chance to rise up. Yeah. And how can they find more information on Code Nation, Ron? What's the URL? So check out Code Nation at codenation.org. Um, and you can definitely take a look at what we're doing right now. We've got programs running in both New York and Chicago. We're getting okay. close to the holidays, but kids are full-fledged coding whether it's our intro programs or our advanced programs. So check us out. You know, if you want to see it, you can also like just send us a note using the website. Awesome, Ron. Well, I'm appreciative of having the second Ron 
on the Ronderings podcast. I'm going to have to figure out who the third, fourth, and fifth Ron is. So if you have other Rons, Ron Summers, that you think should be a part of this podcast, I don't already know. I'm open game for that because, uh, you know, it could be a nice kind we of – We start a group. We, we <laughs> So when I've tagged you on LinkedIn, I was like kind of sad. I, like, I was like, hmm, this could be a we thing. Mm-hmm. This could be a thing. Yeah, we saw the country. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man like original kings of comedy that'd be something anyway um <sighs> yeah, <see. laughs> yes 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 you'll yes, be yes. steve harvey you'll yeah. be steve harvey i'll be yeah. cedric okay <laughs> Who's, we 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 gotta find our bernie mac though but to be clear the original the kings of comedy i know because the film. i don't know that yeah um boy that's yeah we have to do some thinking there yeah i don't know how you do that yeah <laughs> All right, Ron. Ron, it was a pleasure having you on the Ronderings podcast. Thanks for welcoming. Yeah. Um, Ronderings universe, you know, we keep bringing the heat. And I like to say, in the words of Coach Prime, we come in. Peace. Thank you, Ron Summers, for being a guest on Ronderings. We chopped it up about a bunch of things. And want to emphasize a couple of things for the audience to think about leadership can be lonely especially for folks of color in leadership positions so talk a lot about how to mitigate that and how much self-care is essential to be able to effectively lead and making the space to prioritize that but most of all authenticity mean true to yourself key to making a positive impact when you are in a leadership thank you ron for your wisdom thank you for spending time with me brother and as i tell folks all the time Come in with hot guests on Ronderings. Peace.